the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. Today we're entering part four of the Blueprint series taking place in the book of Colossians chapter two. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. It's great to see you all here. It's just wonderful. I know, you know, there are other places you could be, but I think there's no better place to be on the Lord's Day than with the Lord's people in the meeting house as a church. And if you're a visitor here today, we're just thrilled that you came and wanted to be with us, and we invite you to kick the tires and get to know us a little bit better, and, you know, maybe, Lord willing, make this your church home. We are in a series of sermons on what, that we call the Blueprint, and it's sort of a, there's a strategy here. We're, we're marching towards Easter and our Easter, Easter out, outreach, and we want to make certain that we are all singing, metaphorically and literally speaking, from the same sheet of music. And so we're looking at our blueprint. And what is a blueprint? You know, buildings have blueprints. Anything, stadiums, when they build a stadium, has a blueprint. Every important structure has a blueprint that summarizes what that structure should look like and should function like. And for the church, the blueprint ultimately is the Bible. That is the Word of God. But every church, every ministry, every denomination summarizes that, the Bible, in a statement of faith. And so we're using our statement of faith in this series as a blueprint. There are 10 key elements or 10 key tenets in our statement of faith. And so we're doing 10 sermons as we prepare for Easter to make sure that we understand the ministry and how this ministry will look and how we will minister and what we believe and what we will major on as a congregation by looking at this blueprint or our statement of faith. Like I said, ultimately, our ultimate blueprint is the Word of God. But we've summarized the key doctrines in our denomination, the EV Free Church, and in our church's statement of faith. Because doctrine determines how you think and how you live. Theology, how you think about God, is what transforms your living. What separates us from Islam or Mormonism or other groups is our theology, is, are the convictions that we hold about God that we distill and derive from the Bible. And it's those convictions after salvation that transform the way we live. And so we're doing this 10-sermon series, and this is number four, and we call it the blueprint. The first thing we talked about was the Bible, the Word of God, what the Bible is and what the Bible does. The second uh, week, we talked about God. The third week, we talked about the human condition. That was last week. And, you know, that was a tough one because the human condition, and you look at the world around us and look what the Bible has to say, isn't pretty. So you might, you, we might say we talked about last week what ails us. And this week, we talk about the cure or the means of the cure, Jesus Christ. 
This is the good news. Before there can be good news, there has to be bad news. And the bad news is that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. There's none right, righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks for God, but God came and sought for us in Jesus Christ. So last week was the malady, and this week is the cure, the means of the cure, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when you talk about Jesus Christ today, there is a ton of confusion. You talk to 50 people about Jesus Christ, and you will get 50 opinions. And if you're not careful, it'll drive you a little bit more than crazy. In fact, to show you how confused the world can be, we're going to run a little video here that just shows you they talked to a handful of people on a college campus and one rock star, and you get all these opinions about Jesus. Who do you believe the person of Jesus Christ to be? That's a tough question. He's the main guy for Christianity, I guess. I think Jesus Christ was a magician. I mean, he studied, you know, he studied in the Far East. Kind of like David Blaine, but like he had way cooler tricks. I actually don't know yet. Me, he's a guy that I guess he, he started a, a thing with some people. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it turned into something he didn't intend. I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian is who was Christ. And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, a, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So our goal today in understanding who Jesus is or what Jesus is and what Jesus did is so that we can be unified in our approach to ministry and so that we can take a clear gospel message to the San Jose community outside these walls, to Santa Clara County, and we can tell people what we know. And and this will help us to preach the gospel day in and day out in our daily lives. It will help us to grasp the love of God. When you understand what Jesus is, who Jesus is, and what Jesus has done, you're able to get a better sense of the majesty and the magnitude of God's love. You're able to understand how great the salvation is and was that has been offered to you. And you also begin to realize how good and wonderful God is. And you begin to find expression for that new understanding, perhaps. Greater opportunities to express thanksgiving. It helps us to love God better, to love people better, to serve God better. And it helps us to serve in this church in a more impactful way. So today, as I said earlier, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ. You could call this message, Jesus Christ Simply Stated. And what I want to do is to look to our statement of faith, which is part of our blueprint, and understand what this church says it believes about Jesus Christ. And it says this, in our statement of faith, you can see it on our website, you can see it right here on the monitor. Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person, two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. It goes on to say that we believe that Jesus Christ as our representative and substitute shed his blood on the cross 
as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for our salvation. So today's message really comes down to understanding two sets of facts. What or who Jesus is and, and what Jesus does or did. And so we say we believe he is God incarnate. Does the Bible teach that G- God incarnate means God in bodily form? Does the Bible teach that Jesus was God? And does the Bible teach that Jesus was God in human form? It does. If you turn your Bibles to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. This is a letter that Paul wrote reminding the church at Colossae that they were to be a Jesus first church, that Jesus was to be preeminent in their lives, that he was to be the center of their worship. And what does he say to them in Colossians 2, 8 through 10? He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, now watch this, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Think about what we just read. He warns us, be careful, see to it that nobody nobody leads you astray. We don't care about human tradition. We don't care about human opinion. And then what does he say in verse 9? For in him, for in Jesus, the full deity, the whole deity, the whole fullness of deity in bodily form dwells. I want you to think about that. The totality of deity, the totality of Godhood is contained in bodily form in Jesus Christ. He is at once a human, human body, and he is at once totally, completely God. You think about that. Now we know that neither nature are confused with the other, or they didn't mix, that Jesus didn't lose anything by becoming a human being, by becoming taking on manhood, taking on a physical body. He added that. But he is at once God and at once man. And it is him and him alone that can fill us, that can satisfy us, that can bring us into a right relationship with Jesus Christ because he's God. Because he is who he is. Christ brings us to God because he is God. Come to earth to make himself known to us in ways that we had not previously known. And that is an incredible thing. And it reminds us in verse 10 that he is the head of all rule and authority. He is God. He is the authority of our life. He is the ruler of our life. He is the king of the universe. You know, that tells us a number of things here. Number one, that we take our lead from Christ. Doesn't matter what man says. Doesn't matter what... Students on a college campus say what matters is is who Jesus is and what Jesus is and what he's done for us. There can only be one Savior. There can only be one satisfier of our souls. He is the captain of our ship. He is the Savior of our souls. He is God come to earth to seek and save that which was lost. Now, that's Colossians 2, 8 through 10. There are many, many other 
passages I could read. One you might want to write down for your later study and reflection is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It's a great passage. Talks about how Jesus took the form of a man, laid aside the temporary exercise of some of the prerogatives of his godness, and went to the cross for us. But another passage that really helps us to see Jesus as God in bodily form, and I've probably quoted this passage to you a hundred times since I've been here, is in John chapter 1, verses 1, 14, and 18. And eventually, when we preach through the Gospel of John after Easter, we will uh, go through this, that whole, those whole 18 verses. But right now, we just want to summarize what it says here. So look at John chapter 1 in your Bibles, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and look at that, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the word, right? In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen, this is the Apostle John writing, we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the mystery of the Trinity, the mystery of the incarnation of God taking human form and coming to earth. He was with God, he was alongside God, he was God, he is God, he became flesh, and not only that, the only God has made God known to us in in understandable ways that are unmistakably true and unmistakably saving. It took God himself to come to earth and explain to us who he was, Jesus, God in the flesh, God incarnate, God in a human body. And this isn't some new innovation. You know, you have movies coming out all the time and they make interesting statements and crazy statements. Or you'll have people on TV. There's a TV series right now on educational TV with Morgan Freeman about walking with God that makes all these assertions. You know, but you know what? The bottom line is this isn't anything new. This isn't something that just came to being in the last three or 400 years. This isn't something that some council voted on that was new at the time. This is as old as the apostles. This is as old as God. This is as old as the word of God. This is as old as the church of God. And it should not amaze us that we believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man. Jesus is Israel's promised Messiah. The early church taught this from the get-go. The apostles and the disciples, they taught this from the very beginning. In fact, if you were to turn your Bibles to Matthew 16, 13 through 18, we see that they got it, that the apostle Peter understood that Jesus was the Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah, and that he is the Son of God. Let me set this up for you. Jesus is with his disciples. He's been preaching. He rounds up his disciples after some preaching and teaching and everything, and he says to them, so who do people say that I am? And so we walk into this conversation right here. Now, Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
Now watch this in verse 15. He said to them, Jesus said to them, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in his bashful, normally, you know, retiring way, steps out in verse 16, and it says, Jesus, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus immediately corrects him, right? Because people tell us Jesus never thought he was God. Jesus never thought he was the Messiah. Jesus never thought he was anything special. But is that what happens here? Look at verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus affirms what Peter has said. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And Jesus says, it is upon your confession, it is upon this statement of who I am, the Messiah, the Son of God, that the whole church will be built. I know some people play some games with the name Peter, Petra, Rock. It's not upon Peter that the church is built. It is upon the confession that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. And Jesus affirms this. Even doubting Thomas got it after the resurrection, right? In John 20, 25 through 29, we read this. So the other disciples told him, told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Can you imagine this? Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. What does Thomas say? Verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Does Jesus rebuke him? Oh, no, no, I'm not God. No, what does he say? Then Jesus said to him, verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Watch this. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Those who would put their faith and trust in Christ without ever seeing him. Thomas bows down and worships him and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, blessed are those who who will believe having not seen me. At no point does Jesus repudiate either of these men. He affirms what they've said. He affirms their statement. Jesus affirms these words and pronounces them as a blessing. Some people insist or ask the question, but did Jesus really believe he was God? I mean, we, you Christians say that he's God. Your statement of faith that your church says he's God. You say the Bible says he's God. But where in the Bible does Jesus say he is God? This is why it's good to read the Bible because time and time again, in word and in deed, Jesus indicates that he is God. I want you to think about this. Angels refused worship. In Revelation 22, 
8 and 9, a man bows down to worship an angel, and the angel says, don't do that. Worship God. Godly men refused worship. When Peter appeared to Cornelius and was going to bring the gospel to the first Gentiles, Cornelius bows down to worship Peter, and Peter says, don't do that. Get up. I'm a man just like you. Paul and Barnabas bringing the gospel and working miracles among a group of people, tore their clothes in grief when the people began, started to worship them. And they were like, don't do this. Don't do this. And then the people got mad. But Jesus, time and time again, accepts worship. And Jesus, as we're told, was a good Jew. And a good Jew would not accept worship unless he was the good God of the universe. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind, and the man worships him, and Jesus accepts worship. Jesus accepts worship. Jesus believed he was God. He accepted worship time and time again. There's no way that he didn't believe he was not God. And as far as him believing he was the Messiah and the Jewish thought in that day, it changed around the 11th century AD, but Jewish thought always was that the Messiah was supernatural and that he was somehow divine. Jesus believed that he was the Messiah. How do we know that? Because he said he was. Where did he say that? He said it in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is the great story of the great account of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And they have this religious dialogue going back and forth. And Jesus tells her a whole lot of difficult things. And he says to her, you know, you guys worship what you don't know, but salvation is from the Jews. You Samaritans don't know what you're talking about. And as they go back and forth, she finally is trying to punt and trying to get out of this conversation And in John 4, 25 and 26, we read this. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She's like, okay, we're in a tie. The tiebreaker is when the Messiah comes and he's going to set this all straight. He'll tell us and it won't be about you and me arguing. And in verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.